I'm going to talk today about a couple of language issues that bother me, why they bother me, and why you should consider letting them bother you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'll Have to Think About That, a podcast in which we talk about history worth knowing, questions worth asking, and ideas worth considering, all in response to the incomplete education that so many of us have. The English language is a hodgepodge and a mess linguistically. It draws from languages across the world. We have vocabulary in American English from across the world. We make up new words. I mean, it almost seems like daily. Merriam-Webster Dictionary adds new words every year. And the older you get, no matter how old you are now, the older you get, the more you will hear English evolving. You will hear the language evolve, and some of it will bother you because you'll think, oh, why are you saying that? Why are you using those words to describe that thing? And I'm not just talking about slang. I mean, slang changes by, you know, by the generation and over time. Um, I'm talking about understanding of grammar and use of, of language um, across the population. And so, Maybe this is a reflection of me getting older and noticing some of these changes. I actually think that it's not so much that, it's more that the more I've learned about grammar and the roots of words and the historical definitions and understandings of words, uh, just the more tiring a couple of things have become for me. So I invite you to give me a little bit of your time, and listen to a few examples of these so that you can be annoyed about them too. The first of them, the first of them is the word awesome. The use, the overuse of the word awesome. Like uh, not long ago, I went to a restaurant and I ordered iced tea. And the friendly waitress, after I said, I'll have iced tea with lemon, please, she said, awesome. And I thought to myself, no, it is not awesome. It is just my drink. There's nothing awe-inspiring. There is nothing about my iced tea that I could imagine that would leave me in a sense of reverential awe. And that is the 16th century root of the word awesome. That is essentially to be left in awe, to have your jaw drop in a moment of cosmic reverence and it was often used to reply to things holy and sacred. I have never had a glass of iced tea that is holy or sacred, at least not that I've known of, nor have I ever had an iced tea or anything like that that has left me with such a sense of, as I said, silent awe and reverence. I lump this, the use of, the overuse of this word, rather, under the heading of just our hyperbole. Um, we tend to overstate things so often, uh, especially in spoken language. But awesome is one of those things that has permanently gotten under my skin. As a remedy, I try not to use the word because there are few things that really truly inspire awe in me. And so I try to use words as the denotative, that is the dictionary definition, would lead me to properly use them. And I try not to overstate things that are, in actuality, pretty mundane. So I suggest you do the same. 
Uh, the next one is something that I, I just, I can either unsee or unhear. And it's actually something that I learned, oh my goodness, back in the 90s when I taught English in Japan, I, I had an opportunity out of necessity to learn a lot more about American grammar in order to be able to explain it to Japanese students who were learning English and had learned about American grammar uh, from textbooks and as a, as a study, not as something that you absorb because you're born in it and you're just surrounded by it. And I learned about the wonder and the magic of countable versus uncountable nouns. And um, it simply put, a countable noun is a noun that you make plural by putting an S on the end of it, like trees or books. You make book plural by putting an S on it and it suddenly becomes plural. It's books. Now, an uncountable noun is a noun that you can't put an S on the end of in order to make it plural. You have to do something else, like water. In the typical sense and use of the word water, you just say water. There isn't a plural of it. You would say glasses of water, all right? You could say pools of water, um, and that is how you would then indicate plurality. But then it's, it, the, yes, you are communicating that the water, there's a, a greater amount of it, but you're, you're subdividing it into these other things that are themselves countable nouns. Now, where this comes up and creates annoyance for me is both written and spoken. And it's in the use of the words less or fewer. Now, in this sense, both of these terms, both those words can be used as adjectives or determiners, but they cannot be used interchangeably when you're talking about, or rather when you are using countable and uncountable nouns, okay? Fewer is to be used with countable nouns, whereas less is to be used with uncountable nouns. So work with me here, okay? Fewer trees, less water. But oftentimes, less is used universally. So for example, a supermarket in my area in the, uh, the, the supposed quick checkout line says 10 items or less. It makes me cringe. It should be 10 items or fewer. You look at a package extolling the virtues of some kind of low-cal cookies, and it says less calories. No, it's fewer calories, folks. So countable versus uncountable. If you put an S on the end of it to make it plural, you don't use less. You use fewer. Now, my next one is, sadly, it's become nearly universally accepted in uh, usage conversationally. And unfortunately, I'm seeing it creep into the written word as well, and not just through advertisements. I've actually seen it in what you would consider to be semi-formal professional writing, and that is ending sentences with the preposition at. This is like fingernails down the chalkboard of my soul. Where are you at? Where is it at? Look, this is where it's at. Now, traditionally, you're not supposed to end a sentence in prepositions, but under certain circumstances written or spoken. And I get it that spoken language is less formal than written language. However, people, come on, there are limits, you know? Like if you drift around a little bit in the lane when you're driving, that's one thing. When you swerve over the lines, that's something else. This is swerving over the lines as far as I'm concerned. But consider this as well. It is redundant. Do you really need to add an extra word and say, where is he at? Why not just say, where is he? 
because it conveys the same question and seeks the same information. You are being redundant. You are using an additional superfluous word that is actually grammatically incorrect. Well, the next thing that gets under my skin is literally. It doesn't literally get under my skin because by saying it gets under my skin, I hope you'd be able to tell that I'm actually speaking figuratively and therefore I don't need to attempt shabbily to add emphasis by saying literally. You know, I was literally so angry. Would you be figuratively angry? Why not just say, I was so angry? Literally is in almost all cases that I hear now, utterly superfluous. It adds nothing but air and I don't know whatever kind of calories it takes to say or something like that. It is a pointless word. And me being me, I have now gotten in the habit with some people when they say literally blah, 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 I'll say, wait, not figuratively? And I know that's me being a pain in the ass. But if you stop and think about it, think about it, like, listen, because you will hear it. I mean, unless you are in some kind of a linguistically pure bubble, you will most likely hear this word used often on television, in conversation, all around you. Stop and think about some of the uses that you're hearing of this word, and you'll realize that the word actually doesn't mean, it doesn't add anything to the meaning. People don't use it for what it really means anymore. In the vast majority of cases, they use it just as a, as a word to mean emphasis or to give emphasis to something. I was literally so mad. Okay, well, again, were you figuratively mad or were you just mad? Why not just say, I was so mad? I was very mad. I was exceptionally mad. I was madder than I've been in a really long time. Another use of the word literally that is uh, as a real head shaker for me is like literally, because like litters, litters people's language or conversational language now. I love it when I hear people say, well, I was like literally blah, blah, blah. So you were, you were compared to, wait, wait a minute, wait. You were akin to something actual. So then what you're really saying is that you were not something, it doesn't make any sense. I was like, no, no, no. Just say, I was angry. I was happy. I had a good day. Stop using literally. And if you can do it, stop using like, unless you are expressing uh, comparison between two things or affinity for something. Both those words, literally and like, um, are filler words. Now that um I just gave you was a filler sound, but those seem to me to be very common filler words. And there's another one of those that annoys me, and that's kinda, kind of. Nobody says kind of, they say kinda. And they'll say it often in sentences like, I kind of want to talk about this. Well, do you or don't you? Oh, we kind of had a meeting. Did you have a meeting or did you not? Because if you had something that was akin to a meeting, but really wasn't a meeting, then you really didn't have a meeting. Or if you kind of have a problem or kind of don't like that, does that mean you do like it or don't like it? Which one is it? My guess is that the overwhelming majority of people don't hear the word and therefore don't get hung up on it like I seem to. Um, but if you think about it, it actually negates or throws some, some degree of confusion on what you are about to say because you are in effect saying 
before saying it that what you are about to say is not actually what was so, that what you are about to say is comparable to or akin to what happened, but it's not what happened. So I kind of played some football. That could mean you didn't. Anyway, get rid of those kinds of filler words, especially things like that, and you can clean up your spoken language and be more clear and be more concise. Okay, my next and last gripe about language is uh, buzzwords. Buzzwords in general, uh, I really don't like. Um, I found that every, I think every career field has its uh, its collection of buzzwords. Education is is chock full of them. Um, and no matter where you are, once you step into, like I said, especially professionally or educationally, like higher ed type thing, you're in college in a specific kind of program, there will be a vocabulary of buzzwords that's unique to that. Okay, great. There are obviously way too many of those out there for me to address. So I'm going to address just one that I came into contact with about a month ago, and then I came into contact with again today, and I, and I hear now and again, and that's lean into. Let's lean into this subject. Like you're, you're having a meeting, and you're talking about whatever the subject is, and someone says, you know, I'm really glad that we're all leaning into this. Well, I had heard this before uh, actually as like a tagline for a news program a couple of years ago and had then ignored it. It hadn't crept into my sphere until I was at this meeting and I listened to this gentleman use the term, honestly, I counted in 14 minutes, he used it 15 times. Like He must have been introduced to this. It was his new buzzword girlfriend because he just couldn't stop using it, it seemed. And he just kept talking about how happy he was and how glad he was that we were all leaning in. And contextually, the problem with buzzwords is lack of shared meaning, along with overuse. Well, anyway, so I'm in this meeting, and I'm thinking, okay, contextually, what he means by this, and it seemed pretty clear to me, he meant to put effort into. So he was thanking people repeatedly in all these different ways for, for putting effort into this, uh, this project. And that was his use of the word lean into. Okay, great. It just got really tiring, though, um, and, uh, and it was like an earworm. I just couldn't stop hearing it. And I mentioned it to my wife, and she had an entirely different, different definition for it. She believed that it meant, like, imagine two people having a conversation, and when the conversation gets heated or gets contentious or there's, there's, you know, it's obvious that two people are on different sides of things and maybe the tension starts to go up, the natural body language inclination is to lean away. And so her, I, her sense of the, the term was, well, you consciously lean toward the other person. When two people lean toward one another physically while in conversation, that's a body language signal of uh, intimacy, of closeness, of, uh, you know, it can mean those things at least. And so her idea was that, well, by leaning in figuratively to a conversation or discussion, you are accepting that it is contentious and there's tension, but you're going to you're gonna kind of put your shoulder into the wind and push into it for the, pro the, for the purpose of moving things forward. I'm like, that's not what I got from this dude's use of the term at all. And so the term bothered me uh, for one, the just 
the, the repetitiveness. He just, again, he used it over and over and over again. And then again, in my meeting today, I talked about people leaning this way and that way and whatnot. The, the trouble then was not only that he was just overusing it, the, the guy needed a buzzword thesaurus, but that if there isn't, I mean, language doesn't do its job unless there is meaning conveyed. Unless the meaning is delivered from one, the message with the meaning is delivered from A to B, communication hasn't happened. And just because words are being thrown around, especially buzzwords, doesn't mean the audience is receiving the message that the speaker is, uh, is trying to convey. Or worse, each member of the audience is coming away with an entirely different meaning or understanding or sense of understanding from what is being said. And it was funny because I, I actually posted this this gripe about that word a, a month ago on my Facebook page, and um, a whole bunch of folks that I know, uh, many of them uh, former high school classmates and otherwise, just poured on all the, uh, the all their uh, uh, the, the buzzwords they they hate most, and strung together these nonsensical paragraphs of of circling back and dialing down and digging deep and blah, blah, blah. And, also, and it, the sick, sad thing about it is, although it was funny, I, I said to myself, like, I've been in those meetings. Fortunately, my, my workplace, we, we, have, we have a minimum of that stuff. I am very thankful for that. But I've been in those meetings where you hear paragraphs worth of talk and you're circling back and you are, uh, it's at the end of the day, and you're drilling down, and blah, blah, blah. And, and you ask, your, you look at it, and you say, has anything been said? And honestly, the answer is, I think in many cases, no. And I don't know if this comes from the desire in everyone to be a poet, or some kind of weird figurative language arms race that happens between people, and heaven forbid you're in charge of a meeting, or you're in charge of some effort and you are a representative at some kind of a meeting, and you're expected to be profound, uh, and, you're ex and it becomes this, like I said, a weird arms race of who can sound you know, most profound by throwing around these kitsch terms. And in, like I said, the doing of it, they're actually not saying anything of value I don't know if it's that. I don't know. I could go on. I'm not going to. Instead, I personally have I've committed, and boy, howdy, it's hard, to being precise in my use of words, to be concise in the amount of words that I'm using to convey a given idea, to be respectful of my audience, engaging to some degree their their knowledge of vocabulary, so I'm speaking to them in terms that they can understand. And in the doing of all of that, sticking as closely as possible to the denotative meanings, that is the dictionary meanings of words, in order to hopefully rely on broadly shared meanings of those words instead of trying to use words creatively, I put that in scare quotes, because while poetry is fine, sometimes it doesn't do a, a, a great job of conveying information to people. Or finally, using buzzwords and sounding pretentious uh, in the doing of it. I've probably succeeded in sounding like a pretty grouchy old man in this. And um, <laughs> I, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm that grouchy. I'm certainly not that old. Uh, but uh, 
take a listen. Take a listen to people's use of language around you. And then listen to yourself and see, where can I clean up my language, my spoken language especially? How can I make sure I'm actually being clear? And where am I maybe falling into the habit of picking up these, these, uh, these verbal memes that are buzzwords? Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You can leave feedback at my show site, which is thinkaboutthat.podbean.com. You can also subscribe there. I'd appreciate that. And share this out to anyone you think would be interested in listening. Have a great day.